0: Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Daryl Finch. Well, did you know it took 62 years for Father's Day to become a national holiday? I didn't either. It's believed that Father's Day was first observed on June 19, 1910 in Spokane, Washington because of a daughter of a Civil War veteran who had lost his wife and he had raised her and five other children. A bill was introduced to Congress in 1913, and in 1916, President Woodrow Wilson spoke at a Father's Day celebration in in Spokane, Washington, wanting to make it an official holiday, but Congress resisted. In 1924, Calvin Coolidge became involved, and in 1930, a national committee was formed by various trade groups in an effort to legitimize the holiday. The battle continued, and in 1996... President Lyndon Johnson made a proclamation for the third Sunday of June to be Father's Day. Finally, it was made official, it was made an official national holiday when President Nixon signed a similar proclamation in 1972, and later he was impeached. (laughs) The moral of the story is it's hard to be celebrated in this country as a father. It's amazing to me, I didn't know the history of it, but it's amazing to me that how uh, time hadn't changed, Congress is still resisting a lot of things in our country. But you know, it is Father's Day, and uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah. Isaiah. Uh, Being a father, uh, if you're like me, guys, I don't ever feel like I measure up as a father that I wanted to be or that I planned to be you know to love to teach to provide protect train up equip and send them out in the world competent to do what they were created to do and i was responsible but when life happens as it has happened uh, even this last week when life comes our way in its own strange way you don't know what to say you often don't know what to do and your question comes when have you done enough when have When's What's the right thing? And often it's easier to provide than it is to protect. The world has become filled with dangers. We've never had to face information, temptations, and traps. You think, who's sufficient? What's a man to do? It looks like things are hurling toward ca- chaos and disaster. So the question, you know, as I looked at it, was there is there hope? Is there any help? What's this world coming to? As believers... We're to look to Christ. So I want to share with you. Dallas Willard wrote this statement. It's going to be on the screen. Jesus lived a life of utter trust because he understood his Father to be unfailingly competent and wholly devoted. This was his Father's world. That last statement stood out to me. This was his Father's world. Well, what does that mean? It means that for the believer, this world is a perfectly safe place for us to be, to live. Now, let me give you a disclaimer here. If you think that by safe, I mean that nothing that we see as bad or inconvenient or uncomfortable is going to happen, that's not the safe I'm talking about. That, in fact, is sheltered, it's not safe. God doesn't shelter you from life. He gives you life that makes you safe. I'm not talking about an absolute safety without risk or danger. I'm talking about a safety in the midst of life and living. I'm talking about a life of assurance even when it feels unsafe. You know, sometimes you get illustrations from the strangest places. As I was thinking about this... I was putting the sheets in the washer. I do that. I do that. And I was thinking about the washing machine. In a washing machine, there's water, there's soap, there's the agitator. All of these have a purpose. But I sat there thinking, do you think that clothes ever look forward to washing? I think they would rather be hanging in the store on the rack, nicely ironed. And well, I don't think I don't think clothes ever wanted to get dirty in the first place. It's your sweaty body that did that to them. I don't think clothes look forward to being washed. I think they look forward to being clean. I don't think they look forward to being washed. And so I was thinking about you know the pain of what's going on, and I was thinking about those those sheets have been washed a few times as well as the rest of the clothes and the things like that. And all of a sudden I realized that washing machine is a perfectly safe place for clothes to be. Even though they're going through the, uh, you know, going through the cycles, going through the spin cycle, going through the soap, going through all of that. You know, I'm glad there's a spin cycle and not the ringer. You remember the ringers? I used to go to the wash... Wash house, my mom called it. The wash house. We're going to go to the wash house. Friday afternoon, after work, she washed all of our clothes that had been done for a week. All, everything. She washed on Friday afternoon. And I remember, have you ever got your finger stuck in a ringer? Pushing it through? Some of the kids have no idea what I'm talking about. You just put it in the washer and you take it out and put it in the dryer. There is a, I think the spin cycle is better than the ringer. Whole thing, I'm trying to tell you something. All of that is taking place in the safety of the tub. Everything. The tub. Everything that's going on. It's a perfectly safe place for those sheets to be in the tub of the washer. Because it's absolutely protected. Everything that can go on there has a purpose and a plan. And I want you to know that this world is a perfect, safe, perfectly safe place for us to live our lives. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying sheltered. Just remember the tub. All the agitation, all the water, everything, the soap, the so- softener, all the, the, the spin cycle, everything is going on in the circumference and the safety Of what it was created to do. Because I know as a father. I don't ever think I measure up. I don't think I'm ever enough. So. All of my life. And all of your life. Is taking place within the confines. Of a purpose and a plan. That is absolute and eternally safe. In Isaiah chapter 46, that's where I want you to turn to Isaiah 46. Isaiah is, in the Old Testament, it's, it's like a mini Bible. Uh, Isaiah is probably the Apostle Paul to the Old Testament. There's 37 chapters of Isaiah that are, I mean, excuse me, 39 chapters of Isaiah that are talking about judgment and sin and, and God showing his, his hatred for sin And then the last 27 chapters of Isaiah are kind of like the New Testament. They're filled with God's compassion and his hope for his people. So all of this spin cycle of judgment that's been going on, and he's talking about Assyria coming and Babylon's coming, but then he turns and he begins to tell them the safety of even what's going on in their life is under his control. Don't you look at verse 9 of Isaiah 46. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying my counsel, my plans shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. In other words, I'm doing exactly what I've wanted to do. The message translation says it this way. Remember your history, your long, rich history. I am God, the only God you've had or ever will have, incomparable and irreplaceable. From the very beginning, telling you what the ending will be, all along letting you in on what is going to happen, assuring you, I'm in this for the long haul. I'll do exactly what I set out to do. God is in absolute charge of our world he always has been he is now and he will be he started it and he's going to finish it he's the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end so this morning i want to share with you three things just quickly that i think that can give me as a father and give us as a people hope and help in this chaotic world that life is happening in Number one is, God's in charge of all things. He's in charge. If God isn't in charge of all of everything, how do you know He's in charge of anything? Isaiah 42, just back a, couple, a page. Isaiah 42, 5 and 6, it says this. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah's prophesying Jesus. Jesus in Colossians 1.16, speaking of Jesus, it says, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. Do you realize that, that God's never been surprised? He's never been disillusioned. And I loved what Graham Cook. He can't be disillusioned because he never had any illusions. He's never had any illusion. He's not disillusioned with us because he never had any illusions about us. He knew us. He really is in charge of all things. When you think about it, God is unrivaled in majesty, unlimited in power, unaffected by anything outside of himself. Chris, we've been talking this week, and you know, here's the thing. God's never been off the throne, and no one's ever been on it with him. He's Lord. I love this. The Apostle Paul uh, calls God in 1 Timothy six fifteen sixteen 16, just a portion of it says, God, Paul calls him the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. Blessed means happy. Now think about these words. He's the happy sovereign. He's the happy only sovereign. He has no competitors And this happy God is king of kings. He's over all other royal authorities. He's lord of lords. He's boss of all bosses. He alone has immortality, which means that God is in a class all by himself, and he's in charge. God has the right and the power and the wisdom to do whatever pleases him. And aren't you glad he's good? None of his purposes can be frustrated. Everything is moving in step with the purposes of God and nothing can stop it. No one can escape the sovereign charge of God. He does what he does because he is who he is and he doesn't have to explain himself or need to. Our trouble is is that we don't understand what God is up to because we want God to be like us. If we were God, we would do things differently. We wouldn't let anybody hurt, all right, except those we don't like, those who've done us wrong. We wouldn't let that happen. We wouldn't control the evil. I will tell you something. I'm glad we're not God. I'm certainly glad I'm not because we wouldn't be holy or sovereign. We would compromise and change with every whim of emotion because we already do that. God's not like us. The all-powerful God is on the throne. Everything is going just as He purposed, even if you don't understand it. The second thing, God is closer than we think. You see, when I start talking about that sovereign, holy God, we often have Him somewhere else. You know, religion would have God far removed that somehow we must appease His offense and get His attention. If you read the Bible, you're going to find something from Genesis to Revelation. The story of the Bible isn't about the desire of people to find God and to be with God. The story of the Bible is the desire of God to be with his people. Remember your history, he says. Remember. Before Adam and Eve sinned and needed forgiveness, they enjoyed God's presence. He had walked with them in the cool of the day. Even when they sinned, it was God who came looking for them. Adam, where are you? One of the most frequent promises in the Bible, I think over 500 times, there's reference to where God says, I will be with you. Isaiah 41.10, speaking of Isaiah, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Later on in that chapter, he talks about forgiveness of sin. Maybe in 42, he talks about the forgiveness. And here's the thing he says about forgiveness. I will wipe out their sins for my own sake. God's saying he's forgiven sin not because we need it, but because for his own glory and for his own sake, he forgives. promise of his presence came to Enoch who walked with God it was to it was made with Noah and his family Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David and Mary and Paul and the Bible is full of God promising to be with us it's the reason for courage don't be afraid fear not for I'm with you the psalmist Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God's with us. God gave Israel the tabernacle, the ark of the covenant, manna, and a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. It was like God was putting post-it notes all over everywhere saying, I'm here, I'm with you. When God himself came to earth, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus left, his promise was that he would not leave us orphans alone. That he would send the Holy Spirit that I am with you always, even to the end of the age, could be fulfilled. God's more, much more interested in being with you than you are with being with him. He wants you to be in every respect related to him, his friend, his companion, his dwelling place. God's in charge of it all. In charge of everything. God is closer than you think. Ever present. The third is God's up close and he's personal. God's not a God that's set off. He's close and personal in your life. I got a new understanding of Luke twelve two 2 where the Bible says that Jesus says that God has the hairs of our heads numbered I know make a ball joke but you realize that's serious attention to detail he not only knows exactly how many hairs are on your head but apparently he has them listed in particular order since they're numbered And for some of us, he's keeping constant count. But here's the point of that whole thing: if God, the average human head has over a hundred thousand hairs, and there's six point nine billion people on the world, on the Earth, so that means there's six hundred and ninety trillion numbered hairs. Well, what's, you say, preacher, that's silly. No, it's not silly. It's saying God knows what's going on in your life, it's numbered. He knows. And the other side of that is, He cares. Proverbs 5.21 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his path. The word ponders means it carries the idea of somebody walking alongside of you with his face inches away from yours, carefully examining, scrutinizing, and analyzing everything, every move you make. In other words, you're never out of the conscious thought of God or away from his immediate attention. Have you ever felt like God was nowhere to be found? Let me tell you, according to Scripture, He was right there. He's right there. And He cares. The one who ponders your every move is always at work. In you, Philippians 2.13 in the New Living Translation says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. He doesn't leave us to our own resources or our own abilities. He's at work. This gives a father great comfort. He's at work in us both to desire it and to choose it and then gives the energy and the power and the ability to do His good pleasure for what He purposes. You're not going to mess him up. But preacher, you don't know what I've done. He knows what you've done. And he's still there. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. You can't do anything he can't redo. He can take your choices, bad and good, and orchestrate them into a symphony called your life. To will fulfill his purposes. This ain't good English. But you ain't big enough to mess God up. You ain't bad enough. If God can take care of the universe. Don't think he can't take care of you. The only thing God can't do is to make you trust him. He's chosen. He's sovereignly chosen not to make you do it. Love has to be responded to. You know, if God's in charge, and if God's close, and God's up close and personal, why doesn't He just make me? How many of you parents know if you made them to do it? They might do it for a little while but as soon as you don't make them do it anymore God was wise enough to know that he 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 was God enough to do so much for us that he knew that the natural the created response to love is love you have to really be off the rails not to respond to love Not only is it your choice, it's your joy. I get to love the God who loved me first. I get to teach my children and my grandchildren. God loves you and he has an incredible purpose and plan in your life. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to make it come to pass, but I know a God who's large and in charge And He's at work in you right now. Working for you to know Him and for you to know what He's up to. That gives a father a lot of peace that know that this is the Father's world. Isaiah 43, 1. Message translation says, But now... Here's God's message. The God who made you in the first place, Jacob, and the one who got you started, Israel, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called called your name. You're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be with you. When you're in rough waters, you'll not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt, the rich Cush and Seba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. So don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm with you. God's in charge of all things he's closer than you think and he's up close and personal today. Do you know him? I'm not talking about theology I'm talking about experience do you know him? Have you experienced him? He invites us all Psalms 46 one says God's our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Isaiah forty five twenty two says, Look to me and be all the earth and be saved. In the message it says, So turn to me and be helped, saved. Everyone, whoever, and wherever you are, I am God. The only God there is, the one and only. The picture I get is what I remember When I was trying to demand my kids learn to swim. You ever demand that they learn to swim? That's for their own good. And so you stand there and you're in the water. You're in the deep end. And you're holding up your hand saying, come on, jump to daddy. They're looking at the water. They're looking at everything going on around them. What are they thinking? I'll drown. Right? Come on. Trust me. And here's what we usually say It's safe. Jump. It's safe. Picture I get is the Lord is saying to us this morning Jump. Trust me. This is a perfectly safe place because I'm right in the middle of it. I'm in the middle of what's going on. I'm in charge. I'm here. And I'm for you. This morning. Turn your eyes. Toward our father. Because this is his world. We just get the privilege. Of living in it. And the assurance. That he's in it with us. Let's pray. Father we bless you. And we thank you. We thank you that today. I'm incredibly helped by knowing you. By turning my attention to you when everything else is crying out for attention. For trusting you when I have no clue how to handle things. By understanding that you will direct my steps because you're here. And you're faithful. And you're at work in me. Both to choose it and then the power to do it. So today, Lord, I turn my face toward you and say help. Help. Help me know how to live an assured life right in the middle of my circumstances. Give me strength. Jesus, I trust that what you did on the cross 2,000 years ago was sufficient for my sin. Holy Spirit, I trust that you coming to live in me is sufficient for my living. You are life in me. I turn to you. I trust you. Thank you. You will never leave me nor forsake me. And you'll finish what you started. It's in Jesus' name. We declare it and we are grateful for it. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.